am excited to introduce Caroline today. You know, one of the great things about hearing a sermon every week is that we're able to gain a new point of view and see things from the perspective of, you know, different speakers and see, hopefully, a fresh angle, get a little bit of a sense of what the world looks like through a different set of eyes. And that's one of the reasons that we love to have a variety of different voices here, great voices, great people who speak. And today, we couldn't have anything greater than my friend Caroline Park. So here she is. Good to see you, everyone. So we have been on the series called The New Covenant Reality for the last couple of weeks. Um, Charles talked about Thanksgiving in New Covenant Reality, peacemaking in New, New Covenant Reality. And today's topic is women, women in New Covenant Reality. And before we start, I must warn you, apparently I have a lot to talk about on this topic. So I realized this talk is a little longer than my usual talks, but I thought this could be my chance to hold forth and mansplain a little bit. It would be be a step toward, you know, equality, don't you think? Anyway, thank you. (laughs) Anyway, it's not that long. So I grew up in Korea. And it's not necessarily a very friendly place for women to grow up in. But my dad uh, was a typical of a atypical of um, Korean father of his generations. And he had seen and believed in my ability and intellect. Um, so he would often lament, you could have gone far if you weren't born a girl. And he meant that as a compliment. So I grew up with this firm belief that girls can be as smart and strong as boys, but also the deep awareness of the reality that the world neither um, want us to be nor allow us to be fully. Then in my 20s, I moved to the States to go to grad school, and I thought I was moving to the land of equal opportunities. And let me tell you, it is more equal than it is in Korea. But there would be all these um, unexpected sexism or misogyny that I would encounter. For example, I'd hear about different limits churches have traditionally put on women in their involvement with the church. In Korea, pastors were generally men, too. But I didn't think of it as a church thing because it was like that everywhere. But here, um, people will talk about Christianity as being misogynistic or sexist. And then they will talk about how Buddhism is not like that, which is completely untrue. So all is to say that I realize this inequality between genders is a universal thing across different cultures. All the cultures have sexism and misogyny embedded in them in different degrees, in different ways. And this has been the case forever. Even the Bible talks about it as well. Mere three chapters into the whole book of Bible, it mentions the hostility between the serpent and the women. So after the serpent tricked the people to eat the fruit, they were told not to in this famous story of the Garden of Eden. God says to the the serpent this, 
And I will cause hostility between the serpent and the woman. After the ser- um, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This sounds like a punishment from God, but I read it more as what naturally followed the people's disconnection from God. The serpent here is the Satan figure. It's the chief of the evil force. And this chief of all the evil force has special hostility against women. And this permeates in the air in different cultures throughout the world. And I think most women have experienced and felt this hostility. If you have doubts about this reality, let me tell you, it is real. But this was not God's design. It was not how we were meant to be. This describes the reality of the broken human condition after the fall. Then what was God's design? What was it like before the fall? We'll look at the um, story of the Garden of Eden briefly to see if we can um, find that. The story of the Garden of Eden is an account of how God created the world and the human beings. People argue whether this story is literally true or not. But beyond the question of its historical accuracy, I believe the story is deeply true because it shows us the reality of the human nature and the conditions of our existence. It is a story of the human race. So my hope is to find the deeper meaning of the story that is helpful for us now under its literal meanings. With that preamble, let's look at the story. The story starts by describing the emptiness of the world in the beginning. Then God creates a human out of dirt. He plants a beautiful garden for the, for the human. The garden has rivers, precious stones, flowers, all kind of trees, including the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which he forbids the human to eat from. Then the story follows like this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Now the man and the woman were both naked. They felt no shame. I read 
um, the woman instead of the wife at the last sentence because it's the same word, Hebrew word that's used there. So unfortunately, this is one of the passages often used to assert that women are less than men in God's design. There was the man first, and because he needed somebody, God created the woman. The woman was supposed to be the man's helper. Well, first of all, the Hebrew word that is translated here to helper is um, ezer, which means help, but not in a submissive way. For example, the same word is used all over the Bible to describe God, as in God is my help. Second of all, when we read the story beyond literally, what is the deeper meaning of the story? Is it that the woman is less important because she was created for the men and afterward? Or that God went a great distance to make sure that the human in the garden has someone to be in relationship with as an equal. I think the latter. God saw that it was better that there were two of them cut from the same cloth but distinct from each other. There could have been easily one the story tells us, but God created two compatible parts from one because it is better for them. This is a picture of God's creation before the fall. There was the deep, uncluttered, uncomplicated connection with no shame and guilt between God and his people, between two genders, And between the offspring of the man and the woman, meaning all people, and between the people and the rest of God's creation. And these connections of all kinds, not just marital relationship, but all kinds, enrich and nurture us. And they are the foundation of who we are as human beings. What follows in the story tells us that this connection, life-giving connection, is destroyed by judgment. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil would be more aptly named the tree of judgment. When the people refused God as the source of their worth, we become adrift and confused and completely overwhelmed in a world that is so, so much bigger than us. So we look to other things to give worth. And with those things, we judge others and we judge ourselves. Think of what your phone does when there's no cellular service. It searches, searches, and scans and scans to connect to something. That's what we are like. What God says to the man and the woman in the story captures the essence of this judgment that we now are enslaved by. The 
God says to the women, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, and he will rule over you. The sufferings described here are about relationships. The women will be defined by and judged by their relationships. The, and the, to the man, he says, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains by the sweat of your brow. Will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made? For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. It's a picture of our disconnection from God as the source of our life and worth. So the man, for man, it's about work. The man's, man's worth will be defined by their productivity their work, their ability to provide a living. And it is not that all women will try to find their worth in relationships or that all men will try to find their worth in work. We know that's not true. But that the world will insist on measuring your worth by these standards. You could be a woman with fulfilling career and many achievements. Still, the world will try to measure you by how good of a mother you are or wife. They might assume that you don't feel unfilled, of unful, you don't feel fulfilled because you're not married or have kids. You may be, um, and men as well. You may be someone who feel happy and fulfilled by um, nurturing others. But the world will try to measure you by your earning power, by your achievements, by your job titles. Have you ever felt judged by these standards? These judgments trap and suffocate us. And this is the bounded set mentality that Charles has been talking about, right? There are sets that there are sets of standards and rules that we're, we're supposed to meet to become um, to be considered good, godly, or mature, or Christian. So the picture looks like this: you're either in or out. If we take the gender dynamics that I've been talking about into account, the picture looks a little bit like more like this. There are two circles, and if you're a man, you can be inside of the circle. If you're a woman, you can only be in the second circle. There's no way to be closer to God or to become this first-class citizen if you're a woman. If you comply to the system, the best position you get is the second circle with its perks. If you don't comply to the system, you're an outcast. This is the old covenant mindset. Not only is this unfair and unjust and infuriating, 
it creates a deep chasm between men and women. They are segregated. They have two different experiences of life. They can't see things eye to eye. It is strategic that Satan targets women more because it creates the disconnection between the genders. It is easier to conquer when you're divided. If we were victims equally, men and women, we would be, we would, we would be bonded. It is like an abusive parent favors one of the siblings. The parent is abusive to both, hates both. But because one is targeted more than the other, they now can't even support each other. There comes the hatred between the siblings as well. We are like those siblings. Men and women were created to connect to each other and receive life from those connections, but we are robbed of this bond. This is why sexism and misogyny is not just women's issue or men with daughters. (laughs) It hurts men deeply as well by disconnecting them from half the population and robbing them of the kind of connection that will open them up spiritually. This system of genders and classes, judgment and discrimination is well developed in most cultures, including ours. In the Old Testament time, it is so plainly revealed in the floor plan of a temple of all places. So this is the rough sketch of the floor plan of the temple. The temple is in the middle and the courtyards around it. The most holy place is where the spirit of God dwelled. And only the high priest could go in there once a year. The holy place is where the candles were lit and the incense were burnt. And the Priests who were on duty that day would go in and do those things. And then the court of priests, where they could congregate. The court of Israel. Of course, that doesn't include women. (laughs) And and then after that, the court of women and the court of Gentiles, the non-Jews. As you can see, depending on which circles you belong to, There was a limit to your access to the temple, to God. So where is hope? Well, our hope is Jesus. It's the right answer, right? In the book of Mark, the scene of Jesus' death is described like this. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last And the current in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This curtain was, can we go back to the first? Uh, Not this one, yes. Um, The curtain was in between the most holy and, um, and the holy place. It was a symbol that shows the access to the spirit of God was not freely open. That's why there was curtain. 
But with Jesus' death, the curtain is torn by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. She was rushing out of the most holy place into the world. And how she destroys the boundary lines of these bounded sets. It is not so much that we sometimes talk about how you can, it's, it's a sign that you can move into the most holy place. But the temple system is over. We're given a new era of relating to God. And the Holy Spirit, she is out in the world. Well, I like to call Holy Spirit she, just in case you're confused. <laughs> well, it seems fair, only fair, given that God has no gender. And this, especially the spirit, actually, the Hebrew word is a feminine noun. So the Holy Spirit does away with the boundary lines by breaking out of these boundaries, sets herself for us. And I believe the Holy Spirit is still on the move, breaking down the walls of hostility and expanding more and more outward, including more and more groups of people who did not have access to her in the past. Men and women, Jews and Gentiles, foreigners and immigrants, people of different races, LGBTQ community. This outward movement of the Holy Spirit is confirmed a few weeks later in the Bible when the Holy Spirit falls on everyone, all people, on the day of the Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit is inviting us to follow her as she moves outward. We women are invited to stand straight and receive our worth from God directly. And find our path forward as God leads us, not what the world tells us. And men, you are invited to receive your worth from God directly. So you will be strong enough to turn toward and connect genuinely with women. Whether they be your wife, daughters, friends, colleagues, sisters. To make space for them so you can hear them and learn from them. This is not a call to be the white knight, but to be friends. This is the new covenant reality for both men and women. And of course, women can be and do whatever we feel called by God in church or outside of church. Did you know that some denominations don't allow women to be pastors and preachers? They don't think it's biblical. Well, we don't agree with them. You may have guessed that. When I was writing this talk, I thought, I don't want this to be about giving women equal chance, equal pay, letting women lead in churches, not hurting them, treating them more fairly. Because that doesn't need to be said. That is such a low bar. Of course we need to be good to women. Why would anyone think that it might be okay not to? 
But what I'm talking about is much more than that. Our spiritual health, our connection to God is at risk. Our path forward may be getting blocked if we don't make space for each other and learn to connect as equals. Because God is about breaking down the walls of hostility. This is the way toward God. When I was visiting uh, India, Asha, India, a few years ago, I saw this new covenant reality at work. Asha is an organization that um, serves the slum communities in Delhi. In slums, I've learned, um, the families, people come from all different kinds of backgrounds. So they they are from different religions. They also are from different castes. It's just because somebody lives in slum doesn't mean that they're always at the bottom of the caste system. You could fall from the highest um, caste. And in, in, in that culture, traditionally, you're not supposed to associate with people from different religion or different caste. So the men in the families, when they go out to work and try to make a living, they get to interact with the world. But the women would stay in their tiny little living squares, not even leave the home all day because they can't talk to their neighbors. They can't talk to somebody because they're Hindi when you're Muslim. Or you can't talk to the neighbor because you're from different caste system, caste. And can you imagine the isolation and the alienation they must have lived in? So when Asha brings in the different culture, um, give them permission to be outside of these bounded sets and show them the joy of relationship and community, they can't stop getting together now. All those women, they get together, they share what they have, they eat together, laugh together, dance together, especially dance together all the time. And this has empowered them so much. They are not only happier and more joyful, they are now learning to solve the community's problems themselves together. They assume the roles of activists, advocates, or health workers with voices which were forbidden before. And they speak to politicians and police officers and bring them their concerns and work to better the whole community. And it's just so, so much better because of their presence. There is this woman, her name is Praveen, uh, in the slum that we visited. And she um, was, her husband's liv- um, living um, earning was quite not quite making their living. So she uh, had the access, Asha, when Asha made the um, financial inclusion possible and made the small business loan possible for some of these people um, living there, she got a loan, small loan, and bought a rickshaw that she rented out to somebody else to drive. And now, after several years of that, she has 35 rickshaws and having a, have a thriving business there. And, of course, she gives to the community, benefits the whole community, not just her family. When these women are freed 
to take space in their community and stand straight. The kingdom of God moves into these communities. They're not all Christians, far from it. But the spirit of grace and connection and love flow there. It is amazing to witness. So, what can we personally do to bring more freedom to ourselves and to those around us? So we live in the new covenant reality more and more. My first suggestion is be wary of the judgment game. In dealing with yourself and others. The voice of judgment is so part of us. It is hard to escape. But there's no winning in this game except for Satan. We're all losers in this game. If we try to play it from a different angle, like I don't want to be discriminated as against as a woman. I don't want to be considered less, so I will play the men's game. So maybe it gives me achievement. Maybe I can have a good job, but the world will still turn around and again um, judge you against it. You still lose. You still lose because judgment kills connection. So pay attention to the voices of judgment toward yourself and toward others, toward other men, toward other women. More specifically, let's let ourselves off the hook. Make a decision to not judge yourself with these standards. What are the gender standards that you've been measuring your worth with? What are the gender standards that you felt judged by? Being a good mom, being in a relationship that others will envy, being a good provider, being successful at work, being likable, being desirable, being strong, being knowledgeable, competent. Or your voice may be telling you, well, you can't do that because you're a woman. You can't do that because you're a man. Well, let's make the decision today not to judge ourselves with those standards. And let's listen to others without the fear of judgment. I think one reason why it's so hard to listen to each other, hear others out with different experiences, is because we hear someone share their stories, and we can't listen to them without constantly asking ourselves, what does that say about me? We don't even have to consciously think we are just there already, automatically. This is why when a woman talks about her experience of sexual assault, violence against her, some respond by, not all men. Or when we hear um, black lives matter, some respond with all lives matter. 
because we're too busy thinking about what about me? What does that say about me? Are you saying it's my fault? Are you saying I'm a racist? I'm, are you saying I'm a sexist? When none of those things were said, we can't connect to others' pain or heartache. Do you see how powerful judgment is? How it robs of connection. It's killing us spiritually. So let's listen to each other. People of either gender, really listen. Suspend your judgment on yourself and on the other person. Break from asking, what does that say about me for a moment? And just hear them out. Does not mean you have to agree with them. Does not mean you have to do what they tell you to do. But you are able to connect genuinely that way. Then you can decide what you can do about it. My last suggestion is to cultivate direct connection to God. Well, I said to decide not to judge yourself, but that's easier said than done. But Jesus has done an amazing thing for us. He has come all the way to us to become our guide and our friend. That's the meaning of the cross. So cultivate a conversational relationship with God, with Jesus. Hear from him so he can guide you and help you break down the voices of judgment. I personally have been journaling as a way of having conversations with God for a long time. It is my main way of talking to and hear from God. And talking here for here myself as well, yes. Over time, this practice changed and transformed me, my way of relating to God and the world profoundly, more profoundly than anything else I've done. It's a slow change, but it's a sure change. So whatever way, if you have a way that you feel you can connect to God directly and hear from him, cultivate that, lean into it. For those of you who are new at this or want to learn more about it and explore, I am leading uh, uh, the conversational prayer workshop on Sunday, January the 8th. It's the first Sunday we will meet as a church next year because we are not meeting on January 1st. So at the workshop, we will talk about different ways different people um, hear from God and also do journaling exercises that can help us get in the habit of conversing with them. So check the connection box if you are interested. I'll send you more information on that. Okay. So that's all I have to say. But right now, let's, I would like us to take a moment and turn to God right now and see if we can give over, over the burden of these judgments that we carry around to him as much as we can. So let's take a moment, one minute, um, and think about what kind of gender judgments that you feel 
weighed down by, that you feel frustrated with, you feel um, guilt, guilted by. And let's make it a specific judgment, not so general. And if you can, write it down in one or two words on something so that um, we are praying about something specific. So let me give you guys one minute. hold out your hands and in your imagination put those words on your hands and talk to God tell him that you don't want this to measure your worth anymore and when you feel ready you can flip your hands and let that go let that judgment go give it over to God with the authority that Jesus has given to me as his follower I proclaim freedom over you from the judgment that's been weighing you down God says he does not hold you to that measure God says he does not judge you with those judgments now be free to follow his voice be free to be all that he created you to be Be free to connect with others in a way that give and receive life. In Jesus' name, I bless you with a new covenant reality. And let's let's do away with the judgments that suffocate us. In Jesus' name, amen.